You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. And now hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 26. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please Him. This, too, is meaningless like chasing the wind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, soldier, and peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name is Joan, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us this morning. Um, before we get into the text, we got some honor to dish out. Uh, we've had some folks that are um, moving and changing circumstances that uh, are worthy of a little bit of honor. Uh, John and Julie Cordray moved. Uh, Maybe 10 days ago, they were members of our church. Uh, John was a therapist who advised on any number of situations, was a dear friend, and Julie got her dream job back back in St. Louis. And so uh, she led forward our summer academy program, if you're familiar with that, where we help kindergartners and first graders get ready to go to school, and they served our church faithfully for many years. So if you know them, or you know of them, or you're Facebook friends with them, when when you get home, not during the church, because I know you all ain't on your phone to church, but when... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, you're not on your phone to church. Just your reaction made me laugh. Uh, yeah, send them, send them a text message, send them a Facebook message, just to let them know we love them and, and we are thankful for them. Um, and then also, on the low end, Joe Ficarra, my man Joe. If you don't know Joe, he's the well-dressed minister of funk bass low end. He plays bass three out of four Sundays. He plays the upright bass. He plays the other bass. The electric bass. Uh, and Joe and his wife Hannah have served our church faithfully for years and years and years in pretty much every way. And this is Joe's last Sunday playing in the band. Next Sunday will be their last Sunday at church. They're moving back to Idaho to be with family and enter kind of a new stage of life there. And so we just thank God for you guys and your faithful service to our church, leading us in music Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for years. So thanks be to God for the Fakaras. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm going to say something that's a little bit embarrassing right now. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Groundhog Day. Y'all know that movie? It's got to be top three movies of all time. Bill Murray. It's very Ecclesiastes-ish. I've been thinking about it every week, and I finally found a way to work it in. 
Just wait. I'll show you. I'll show you why you guys pay me to do this. I'm going to tie it in so perfectly here in a second. Um, so if you don't know Groundhog Day, I know how to pray for you now. If you don't know that movie, that's your Monday challenge, as Pastor Bobby likes to do. Go watch Groundhog Day. It's the story about a kind of arrogant, elitist weatherman from, uh, is it Pittsburgh? He's from Pittsburgh or he's from Philadelphia, whatever, one of those big Pennsylvania towns. And he's assigned to go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to cover Groundhog Day. And he thinks it's beneath him and he hates it. And he gets in, stuck in some kind of sorcerer's trap. We it's never explained. But he wakes up in Punxsutawney and has to relive Groundhog Day over and over and over and over again. Uh, there's all kinds of internet blogs and speculation about how long he's there. Some think he was there for thousands of years, just living the same day over and over and over and over again. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie, <laughs> sorry, I just thought about it maybe last. Uh, he's in a bowling alley with two locals. And again, every time he meets somebody, to them, he's, they're meeting him for the first time. They're meeting Phil the first time, but he's known them for thousands of years at this point. He takes two locals to a bowling alley, and I, I got a quote here. He's getting kind of fussy about his situation, the reality of his setting in, and he looks at his friends and he says, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? And there's this long pause, and one of his local friends nods his head and he says, that about sums it up for me. That was, that's always, I've always thought that was funny. Uh, after the last year or 18 months or so, after COVID time, it feels more sobering to me now and not just, not just funny. Um, that, that idea that about sums it up for me, stuck in one place, every day was exactly the same. Nothing you did mattered. Hashtag COVID time. <laughs> that's what the last year has felt like in, in so many ways. Every day looking the same, feeling of the same, feeling the same. Does any of this matter? Can any of you remember when you used to go to work? You would go to work and you would see people, you would see something different, you would interact, you would talk about the things that you did, even if it was just side conversations. But now, where do we go? If you have vocational employment, most of us, not all of us, but most of us go to our computer and we go to Zoom, day after day, sitting behind a desk. And at, at any point in this year, did, did you ever have the question, what are we doing here? Even if you're not employed by an employer outside of the home, did you not notice the routine? Some of us tried to work at home with kids, email, and then a Zoom, then you do the same laundry. You notice how the laundry looks the same after you do it enough times? How the dishes look the same after you rinse them and wash them and put them away? Distance learning with the kids over and over and over. Maybe that's how your days felt even before COVID though that meaninglessness, that sense of what, what are we doing here? I've been, I've been on staff at Sojourn 11 years now. And I remember when I first came on staff at Sojourn, I thought this would be it. Um, when, when I was in seminary, the idea of coming to Sojourn, it felt like the LA Lakers or something. Like that is, if you play for the Lakers, then you are in and that is it. And I remember thinking if I got on staff there, that would be it, meaningful. It would be satisfying. And what was underneath that is I was so afraid of belonging. I was so afraid of not belonging, rather. And that's, 
That's almost all I wanted in the world, was to feel like there was a place that wanted me, that accepted me, that I fit in and could be affirmed. So what did I do to chase that desire? I did everything that was asked of me. I knew I wasn't the smartest or the most talented, but I was, I was pretty sure I could outwork all the other guys in seminary. And so if they would do things like sleep at night, I would not sleep at night to do more through the night because I can get, that's eight hours that I can get ahead of you on because I have to belong and I need to find my place here. And I remember one time getting a phone call at 10 p.m. at night and my heart started racing. I don't know if you all have any of those kinds of relationships or experiences where just the phone moving gets your heart beating fast. And I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was 10 p.m. I knew I was going to be asked to do something. I knew I would say yes and I knew I was going to be upset about it. So I picked up the phone. <laughs> this is what I heard. We have an important meeting at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I need you to send me everything you know about Gothic architecture as soon as possible. What you should know is I knew nothing about Gothic architecture, but I had a few books about Gothic architecture because I was curious and I had the internet. So out of this desire to prove and impress and belong, I drove from my horse stall apartment in Old Louisville up to Jeffersonville, Indiana. Why'd you go to Jeffersonville, Indiana? Because I was broke and tired. And you can go to the International House of Pancakes and spend $2 and get a bottomless pot of coffee that can carry you through a whole night. And I read a book on Gothic architecture. I read blog posts about Gothic architecture. And I wrote a paper about how Gothic architecture furthers the vision of Sojourn Community Church. I sent it to my boss at 7 a.m. And then I went to class. By noon, I hadn't heard anything. And the story starts coming. The insecurities flare. And the, you know what I mean by the story you tell yourself? The reel that plays in your mind? What do I hear? You're such an idiot. They can see right through you. They knew you were making stuff up. They're probably debating who has to call you to fire you. They're probably debating who's the one that has to tell you what an idiot you are. You embarrass the whole church. The whole thing's probably going to close now, and you're going to be the guy that they said it's all on you. And, you know, and by, by 1230, I'm like, I've resigned myself to working in the drive-thru for the rest of my life or something. So eventually I'm like, no, I'm going to be a man of courage. I'm going to face my fears. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make the call. And so I call. And I say, okay, tell me the bad news. How bad, how bad was it? And the guy was like, what are you talking about? And I, I was like, the paper. Just like, how did it go? How'd the meeting go? And he's like, oh, we changed the agenda before the meeting started. I never even read it. We, we didn't get to it. And I didn't, I was almost disappointed that they didn't hate it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 2.20. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all of my hard work in this world. Whether it was COVID or just life, have you had a taste of an experience like that? Have you come to the end of a hard day or a hard week, or a hard month or a hard year and said, I give up in despair and I question the value of all of my hard work? You wrestled with the what am I doing questions, the nothing matters questions. The same laundry, the same dishes, the same reports, the boss that doesn't care, all of this effort, and for what? Here's how the preacher began this reflection on work. He says, I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. 
And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. We're being shown here that work won't work when we have a broken why. Your work won't work when you have a broken why. Most of us work for some form of gain. Have you noticed the series Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain? But most of us work for gain. The preacher here, he wanted to gain money, possessions, pleasures. I wanted to gain approval, belonging, affirmation. What's the why of your work? Why are you doing what you're doing? We've learned already in the previous weeks, life is short, you'll die soon, and then you will be forgotten. What happens to all you've worked for and saved, it goes to someone else. What happens if you put off facing your death and you don't plan? It might, all that you've worked for, all that you earned might fall into the hands of the government. They'll decide what to do with it. Maybe it'll go, you'll offer an inheritance to children or successors, but who knows if they'll be wise or foolish. The preacher names this pain succinctly. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. If you work for gain, your work won't work because you'll leave it to somebody else. If you work for some sense of belonging or satisfaction or affirmation in your soul, your work won't work because there is no amount of status or achievement that will grant the soul rest. In verse 23, he says, their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. Have you noticed how nobody has said the celebrity worked, the money worked, the new position worked, and now I sleep like a baby? Preacher is saying, you know, you, you worry because you don't have enough money. So you work to get more money. Then once you have more money, you worry about what happens if you lose it. You worry to get this possession. And then you worry about what happens if you lose it or it's damaged or it's stolen. You, you overwork because you're worried you're a failure like I did. And then after you work, you worry because it wasn't good enough. It's the chasing of the wind round and round and round, trying to grasp these vapor breaths of meaninglessness. So he just concludes in verse 23, it is all meaningless. It's important for each one of us to wrestle with what are we after in our work, in our vocation. I don't just mean our employment the ways that we spend our time. What are you hungering and hoping for? Soberly, honestly, how confident are you that that will work? How has it worked for you up to this point? Our work won't work so long as we have a broken why. Our work leaves us. Just try to picture in your mind that image of, your longest day, the painful, grief-stricken, difficult day, and then tossing around in bed at night, worried. Maybe that's not every night for you, but all of us have had that night at least once in the last year. Amen? 
rolling around in bed restless and you can't sleep. Maybe you had long, full days of planning and decisions, and then you lay at night thinking about all you should have done, all that's waiting for you to do tomorrow. Think about all the pressures that we carry from our jobs and the burden of performing and proving and impressing. I just want you to picture yourself tossing and turning in bed for a moment. I want you to see it in your mind and hold it for a moment. And then here in contrast, the words that Jesus offers to us. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How can he make such an offer, and what in the world does that even mean? It's for someone like me, my true exhaustion, I found out the, the meaninglessness of work as I set out to work for Jesus. You see that? It, it was a ministry job. That, that taught me this. It was all of this work and exhaustion in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus is the one who comes and says, but I will give you rest. There was a while where I wanted to put an addendum in there or put a little asterisk in the Bible, unless you want to be on staff at a church, I will give you rest. Unless you want to be in pastoral ministry, I will give you rest. Unless you really want to take the Great Commission seriously. But no, he says, I will give you rest. What does that mean? In some ways, I think Christ is saying you can return to the goodness of work. All of our striving to prove and impress is over in Christ. The image building, the image making, the brokenness of our world has been healed. How can that be? Second Corinthians 5. God made Christ, who never sinned, listen, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The reason you feel broken, insecure, ashamed, and afraid is sin. It's either your sin or the sin someone else has committed against you. It's both the sins you've committed and those committed against you, but Christ became the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God. At the cross, he absorbs our brokenness, he absorbs our sin, and he declares us clean, which means that the voice of God Almighty, think of the ways he's referred to in the scriptures, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the maker of heaven and earth, the only eternal wise God looks at you and says, I am pleased. You are forgiven, you are clean, and you are healed. If you receive this, if you let Jesus teach you, listen, your work will be freed from the pressure to satisfy your soul. If you can find rest for your soul in Christ, you can stop looking for it in your work. Let me put it another way. Your work will cease to be about your striving to gain and instead will become about your being human. You and I were made to work. Work is good. In Genesis, before any sin, we were given work to do. In the new heavens and new earths, we will have work to do. Can you imagine curse-less work, though? And that's not just work where you don't curse. You know, like, I mean, with the curse of Genesis 3 has been unwound, and the, the work doesn't fight against you anymore. 
No pain, no frustration. Your work won't work against you. That is our destiny. And in Christ, we are freed from putting pressures on our jobs or our time or vocations that they can never satisfy. If we can receive this truth, the wisdom of the preacher here in Ecclesiastes becomes apparent. So first, he's just shooting it right down the middle of the plate. There's, there's no interpretive ambiguity here. Work is difficult. Until Jesus returns, whatever your work is, whether that's in the home, outside of the home, around the world, whatever you do, expect it to be difficult. Nowhere in this passage or in the Bible are we taught that our vocations will be easy. That's something that's very sad to me about my generation. When life is difficult, we get surprised. And yet the message of the scriptures is life is really hard. Your marriage will be difficult. Raising children will be difficult. Your job will be difficult. There's nothing beautiful in life that didn't come at great expense, great difficulty. Work will be difficult. So Christian, don't be surprised by hard days. I'm not saying like, let's throw parties when we have really hard days. I had a hard day cake. Yay, it happened again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is let's not be people who are surprised that our work works against us. Or people like, find your dream job and you'll never work a day in your life. There's like three jobs that's true for, right? There's like, you know, there's all kinds of jobs. Everybody likes that phrase until like their plumbing's clogged. You, you know what I'm saying? And you call a plumber at two o'clock in the morning. I've yet to meet a plumber that says, this is my dream job. Every day of my life, I've dreamed about messing with other people's plumbing. But it is meaningful, important work that is in so many ways the foundation of modern society. If we only did our dream jobs, no one would do hardly anything. So whatever your hand finds to do, expect it to be difficult. Find the why of your work. Why are you working? And receive freedom in Christ. If the why of your work is carrying the burden of your soul, the satisfaction or the peace of your soul, it won't work. And as long as you keep striving to make it work, you will only find yourself more exhausted and more enslaved. So expect work under the sun to be hard. Find the why of your work and receive your freedom in Christ. The second lesson that we can see now that he couldn't see then is that Christ frees us to work as gift and not as gain. If Christ has freed you from seeing your work as a path to gain, what has he freed you into? The cross frees you to work from a place of gratitude, not out of a desire for gain. In other words, you work as an act of worship to God, from a place of freedom and sincerity, with nothing to prove and no one to impress. You work knowing that faithfully using what God has given to you is a way you reclaim your humanity. Sin that has distorted and dehumanized you, the suffering and losses that have distorted and dehumanized you. When we work from that honest place of rest and forgiveness in Christ, we are reclaiming what it means to be made in the image of God. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross, forgiving you, reconciling you to God, so you can have your so your human goodness can be reclaimed and restored. If that language is confusing, think about it this way. In Christ, the beautiful power of being made in the image of God has been restored to you. The wonder of what that means. So listen, how, how would you work? How would you work if you could receive the ability to work 
as a gift, not as a means to an end. If the work in and of itself was an act of worship unto God, I'll give you two examples that come to mind from the scriptures. Here's one that doesn't get much airplay in churches like ours. We're going to try to change that over the next few years. 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your goal to live a, someone say it, quiet life. Minding your own business. Working with your hands, just as we've instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. There's a biblical outreach strategy for you. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work hard. Earn the respect of others, not by the tracks you slide under the door or the clever turns of phrases you can give to them, but how? By living a respectable life. Do you see the lack of grandiosity here? Find your true passion. It just says, just mind your own business and work hard. You see the lack of dream job pursuits? I'm not saying don't find something you love or don't pursue something you're passionate or interested about, but we just hold that like the rest of life loosely. He's saying simple, everyday hard work because work is good and it makes for a respectable life. If you have nothing to prove and no one to impress, which the cross says you do, right? It's done. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are clean. Then you can find great contentment in your everyday, ordinary work. One other picture from Colossians. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. So listen, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever your role, whatever your job, whatever the task before you is, give thanks to God the Father as you do it and do it as a representative of Jesus. Do the job, even the one that you don't like from a posture of gratitude because it's a gift. We're only a few weeks into Ecclesiastes, but it is, it is, pierced my soul deeply. I mean, once or twice a day now, something stops me in my tracks and I'll just say, I'm alive. Right now I'm alive and, and what a gift it is. What a gift it is to have something to do, some work, some task, something right in front of me. Laundry to expense reports. We are alive and we are representatives of Jesus. So whatever we have to do, we can do with gratitude as his representatives. Christ frees you to work as a gift, not as something to gain, because through his cross, he's already given you all you could ever desire from your work. Any material things, any emotional, spiritual things are all promised to us now in Christ. One final application of, of what this means. So, so Christ frees us to work as a gift, so it's a gift that we get to do this. And then we also get to work from that posture of gift. So listen to what the preacher says at the end of this. I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. So at the core, instead of working to prove or impress, we work to experience the pleasure of God. How do you find satisfaction in your work? Gratitude, a posture of gratitude. Gratitude for a body, gratitude for a mind, 
for time, for days and weeks to work as a representative of Christ, to receive food and drink as gifts from God. Well, how do you do that? You just realize that God could have made everything be flavorless oatmeal. But God made apples, and he made thousands of apples. When's the last time you slowed down and tasted a simple bit of food and just paid attention to how it danced on your tongue and realized this is a gift from God? a generous, creative, wonderful God who wanted you to experience his goodness and all of these different wonders. The, the one who invented apples and taste buds, the one who invented wine and wheat, the one who invented cows and kale, right? Like wherever you are on the spectrum, he's found, he's created something wonderful for you to eat. All is gift when it's received with a heart of gratitude when we can see the wonder of God peeking through in these ordinary, everyday aspects of our life. Christ has freed us from the pressure to gain something from our work, so now we can enjoy God's nearness even in our work, and even when our work feels like it doesn't work. And so, like with my paper, it was never read, and that was genuinely sad and disappointing. But I also learned about the beauty of Gothic architecture. I learned why ceilings of Gothic cathedrals look like upside-down boats. I learned what a narthex is. I learned why threes were represented all over these structures. In other words, I learned how, for hundreds of years, the gospel of Jesus Christ was built into Christians' buildings, and every step of the way was meant to help us experience the transcendence of God. And from that moment, I have never looked at a church building the same. So now I say, thanks be to God that I wrote a paper that was never read. He made these hands and he made this mind and he placed me there now and there was goodness in the work that he gave me to do regardless of what did or did not come from it. I will not work for gain, but for the gift of experiencing his nearness. And every week we culminate our services on the gift of Christ's nearness. But calling our minds to the night he was betrayed when Jesus took a loaf of bread, he thanked God for it. He broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, or this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.